Hey everybody, hey, it is good to see you. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, a bunch of us were at fall retreats last weekend, and so um, I got all pumped in, about that, but also tired from that. And so maybe some of you are in that same boat. This weekend was just a tiring one, you know? And so <laughs> as we kind of are moving toward the midpoint of this semester, uh, it's more important for me and perhaps for you than ever to really make sure that we're leaning into the strength that God provides us with, that we have available to us through him. And so I'll be talking in some way about that, I think, tonight. But uh, first of all, I want to talk about how we're starting, like Daniel said, this new series, The Lone Gospel, okay? So we're kind of, every once in a while, we do like to do something kind of kooky. Uh, this is, uh, <clears throat> is uh, well-correlated with my country era, <laughs> which I've, I've found myself slowly uh, succumbing to over the past few months. For 30 years, for 30 years, I avoided country music. And uh, in, recent, in recent months, I've been really embracing that. Not, not the whole lifestyle, but, you know, just uh, some, some aspects of it. And so in some ways, you know, this whole, this whole thing we got going on really speaks to me. Uh, maybe it does for you. Um, Anyway, that's just kind of for fun, okay? But uh, the whole point, that's not the point. That's not why you're here today. And so for this series, it is about, it says on the cover, a study in Galatians. And so it turns out there's a book of the Bible that we're covering over the next several weeks that has to do with some, a particular theme, a, a central theme that runs throughout this book of Galatians in the Bible, it's that we experience justification by faith, by grace and through faith in Jesus, by grace and through faith in Jesus. And so Josh, one of our staff, talked about justification a few weeks ago. If you weren't there, I encourage you to listen back or watch back on uh, our podcast or YouTube, whatever you want to do to kind of check that out, because it has some helpful terms and definitions that could be helpful to you, but hopefully this still makes sense nonetheless. And so that's in some way what Galatians is about. It's six chapters long. Uh, another source says this, the Galatians was written to clarify and defend the truth of the gospel in the face of a false gospel. Thus, we believe in and we affirm the true gospel, the lone gospel, as it were, because there is no other gospel, okay? There is no other way to experience eternal life. That's what we're talking about. That's what Galatians is talking about. And the lone gospel, as we see it laid out in the book of Galatians, it is not oppressive. It is not burdensome. Like many ways that we can think about religion, like many other false gospels that we could even be deceived by. And, and no, it's actually liberating to truly lay hold of the lone gospel, the true gospel. It frees us to live in the satisfying and God-glorifying way that God intends for us, okay? And so I wanna provide some context, give an overview of Galatians and specifically the first two chapters. And hopefully that'll kind of help us as we shift later into a few just key takeaways that I have for you. And so some part of your notes there is just blank. You can write whatever you want there or draw something up to you. <laughs> and so. Galatians was a letter, it was written by the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul wrote a bunch of the New Testament of the Bible, and he wrote Galatians to a group of Christians who most likely lived in an area of the Roman Empire known as Galatia, okay? Yeah, Galatians live, Galatians live in Galatia, okay? So Paul had already met, he was a missionary, and so he'd already met, he'd shared the gospel with these people in that region, and so he was and so he was, had established churches already who had begun to follow the teachings that Paul had given them. And so this is a thing that we see him do throughout the New Testament. He'll plant a church or he'll kind of encourage or develop a community of believers in a, in a space. And then he'll write a letter to them. And that letter could entail all kinds of uh, maybe negative things or positive things, things that are ultimately going to help them though. And so the occasion for this letter to the Galatians is found in the first few verses. And so I'll actually have these on the screen behind me, but it says at the very beginning, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Okay. This is like standard greeting stuff. We're we've got the sender. We got the recipients of the letter. This is like me saying, Hey, Jeremy, it's your boy. I'm communicating. That's my recipient. This is the sender texting, whatever. And we've established, you know, the specifics of who's talking to who. So he says that it goes on, it says grace to you, grace to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and father to him, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ooh, that's, that's a lot. Okay. That's a lot. This is, should be really encouraging, should be really kind of like exciting in some way as we dwell on the truths that Paul's talking about in this introduction, this greeting of yes, like Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us according to the, God's will to him be the glory. You know, he's just, just laying it on really just the theological implications and ultimately in some way, this is kind of foreshadowing what he's going to get into. And so he's getting into this stuff. He's greeting you. If you're a Galatian right now, you're excited to see where this is going. Okay. We got any Galatians in the room? No. Okay. He starts the next part. He says, I am amazed. I am amazed. Okay. If you're a Galatian, you're like, right on. What's, what's Paul amazed by, you know, like what's he about to say next? He goes on. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Oh, you know, like that's, that's a deflating experience to read. Paul, the apostle just wrote you a letter and that's what he has to say to you. You know, that is not what you wanted to hear. And so that's kind of a bummer. So what Paul is getting at he starts off with an opening rebuke in this letter. The fact is that he established those believers in Galatia and he has, man, he has invested in them as people, as people he shared the true, the complete, the, the lone gospel with for them to experience life. And he's received word that they are being deceived actively by what he refers to as a different gospel. And so he clarifies, however, that there, are, there is no other gospel. 
but rather some people are actually taking the gospel of Christ and distorting it. Now, when you take the truth and you twist it, you turn it into a lie. It's no longer recognizable as the truth, especially when that is such a significant life-altering truth as the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Paul is addressing this major problem head on by saying, like, I rebuke you, okay? He's saying, I am amazed that you're so quickly turning away from these things. This is an attention-getting, attention-grabbing situation. Now, for the rest of chapter one and into chapter two, Paul actually takes some time to authenticate the gospel message that he preached to the Galatians in the first place. So he's trying to, in some way, try to argue his case for why, why this matters and why the gospel that he gave them, the true gospel, the lone gospel, uh, matters and why it's the, the true one. Because at this point, it's competing, it's having to compete with other messages. And he says this in verse 11 and 12 of that first chapter. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. I didn't come up with this. I did not receive it from a human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, he shares here and throughout these chapters that the true lone gospel is from God himself. It's from God himself. And that's why it's reliable. We can't depend on, we can't rely on man-made ways of getting us unstuck from the problems that we face, the problem of the human condition. We'll get more into the specifics of what that means in a second. But first, in, in a different letter that Paul sent to a different group of churches in a different place, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel, it is from God. It's verified by scripture and it's verified by eyewitness testimony. And so Paul is just in various letters and especially in Galatians, he's really trying to solidify. This is why <laughs> this is the real deal. And so as Paul continues, he breaks down some important aspects of what the true gospel means. And so I wanna take the rest of our time to highlight four takeaways that we can clearly see in the first two chapters of Galatians. And the first of these is stand in the gospel. Stand in the gospel. Back in that first kind of opening rebuke like I talked about, he says this, I'll just re repeat this. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. That's important. <laughs> turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So this to us, he's not writing us this to us. So this is like a cautionary tale. We get to see we get to read the Galatians mail, right? And we see Paul's explanation of this problem to the Galatians. And in some way, this, this should prompt us to wake up. This should wake us up and cause us to really sit back and confirm, hold up, is this, have I distorted the gospel in any way? Have the people around me distorted this, this truth, this message, this 
life-giving good news, the gospel. That it's the foundational truth about what we believe and we cannot afford to get it wrong. And so that's why he's like making such a big deal out of it. He's going to make a big deal out of it for the next six chapters. <laughs> and so what is, what is the gospel? I want to break this down because this is important. I don't want to just gloss over it. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so a couple things are true here. You and I, as human beings, are made for relationship with God. He is our creator and he wants a relationship with you. That's what you're made for. And our sin, however, our brokenness, our choices that actually are in rebellion against God, whether you, whether you know it or not, but deep down, we're aware that we have sinned against God. That separates us from God, leading to death. It says the wages of sin is death in that verse. And that means that the results of our wrongdoing, our sin, our brokenness is death. So we're separated from God that leads to death. Jesus, however, this is the good, this is the good news. This is the gospel. That Jesus sacrificed himself in your place so that you would no longer need to experience that punishment. Because that's what justice demands. It's that we have done things wrong against the holy, completely perfect, just God. And he says, okay, you can't do this on your own. You can't get yourself out of this problem on your own. So he sent Jesus as a way for us to experience life, not death. And if we choose to confess our sin, to believe in Christ's sacrifice and to follow him with our lives, we get to experience new life. That is the gospel. And in Galatians chapter two, Paul puts it this way. He says, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Listen carefully to that. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Works, faith. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. And so that is the truth. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot work to achieve salvation or earn salvation on our own. No, the gospel means that this is a free gift of God. That's which is eternal life. How then did this get distorted? How did they get this so wrong? And how could we be in danger of doing the same? So in, there's a whole back, backstory that I really was trying to figure out how to specifically articulate. And I do encourage you to really go back and look at this. And if you read through Galatians 1 through 2, you'll get some context for this. But the, the essence of it is this. The Galatians, who were new Christians, they were new believers, they didn't really know any better in some way. They were told from other people that in order to truly experience salvation, they had to conform to religious rituals of the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. There's so much that I could try to like piece, piece together from that, but essentially the Jewish old law that was given to 
Moses, which was a pretty big deal. And the, the Jews had been trying to abide by that for, for centuries, really. And then when Jesus came, he said, hey, I'm going to make it so that you don't have to try to live by that anymore. That's done. And, and so, and in fact, the Galatians and all these different Gentile believers that were cropping up, they were getting this mixed message and they were being told that they had to do, perform these Jewish rituals in order to experience salvation. Okay, so that if you just kind of checked out there, you know, I get it, but just know, we don't experience salvation. We don't earn salvation by our works or by the rituals that we can do. And so whether it means going to church or reading your Bible, we do good things that God's prepared for us to do. We can look at that too. But importantly, most importantly, we are given access to God by, by no merit of our own. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is an important verse. In fact, I don't think I have it on there, so you, should, you might want to write this one down. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not a result of works. Why? Why did God set this up? So that no one may boast. So that nobody is, is able to compare themselves to each other. We're all on even footing. We are all desperately in need of what God has to give us. And no amount of awesome things that you or I do makes us better than anybody else in this room or anybody else in the world. But God says that he did the, he made this way so that no one may boast. So that we would not boast, we would express humility and glorify God. Ultimately, we, we don't get to boast in our own merits, our own efforts, because ultimately it's God who gets the glory for this miracle of life that we get to experience, the miracle of knowing God, the miracle of the gospel. And so, by standing in the gospel, we need to understand this for ourselves. We need to try to get a better picture of and be firmly rooted in the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for. Second, stand for the gospel. Stand for the gospel. In chapter two, verses four through five, it says, it's Paul's talking about the ways he's trying to work with other people. And he's trying to, in the nicest way possible, oppose the people who are spreading these lies, spreading the deceit of, of the false gospel. So he's coming into contact and, and conflict, conflicting with them. He says, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Whoa, spying infiltrating, enslaving, not good, not good, okay. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And so Paul is giving us an example. He is showing us that we must stand for the truth of the gospel. We need to 
not just understand it for ourselves, internalize that truth, but we need to be bold enough to, to share the truth of the gospel. We need to be bold enough to stand for the gospel when it is opposed. We need to let our life reflect the beauty of the gospel so that as we stand for it, which think about it in terms of your allegiance to it, you affirm the gospel, you're in favor of it, you show support to this truth, this gospel, the lone gospel. That's, that's what we're set apart to do. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the power of God for, to salvation. So there is no other power to, to save us as we've discussed. And so it is up to us, God, God commands us, God implores us and, and Paul exemplifies for us standing for, standing firm for the gospel in whatever ways that he calls us to in, in our life situation. Next, we are to live in the savior, live in the savior. First, we stand in the gospel. We stand, then we stand for the gospel. Next, we are to live in the Savior. One of my favorite, probably, verses of all of Scripture is found in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's so much that I would love to unpack <laughs> about what this means. But in essence, in essence, what I see in this verse is that my identity isn't based on what I do but in who Christ is and what he's done. My identity isn't based on what I do, what I can achieve, how I can prove myself. No, but on who Christ is and what he's done. That's the true gospel. That is what he has saved us to. He has saved us from the, the devastation that our sin naturally leads us to. And he has saved us to just this, this power, this exciting way of living as we, we let go of living for ourselves, living in our own strength, living in a way that is just trying to get by ourselves. But no, I, I, I shed my old identity so that I can so that Christ can live in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith for my salvation. I live by faith for the hope that I need to get through like a really hard day. I live by faith in, in the spirit to, to strengthen me toward the things that I need to do, the things that he's called me to do. Ephesians 1, Chapter six, I was reading this over the weekend and it really struck me. It says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. 
When we live in the Savior, when we live protected by, empowered by, our hope is in that Savior, in Jesus, then we belong to him. We belong to him. And the Bible tells us that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. So you need to trust that. And in in some way, this this encourages me once and for all as as I commit my life to Christ, as I let go of my old life and take his identity. But this encourages me every day to know that I don't need to perform in a certain way to be accepted by God. God has already accepted me. If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you are in, if you're standing in the gospel, then, then he is all that you need. He is all that you need. He loved you and he gave himself for you. My identity isn't based on what I do, but in who Christ is and what he's done. And then finally, we need to live for the Savior. Live for the Savior. And so, as we process these things and want to make sure that the results of our life are meaningful, we want to make sure that our output, like the things that we create as human beings, that God's put you on earth to do, is something meaningful, is something good. How do we do that? Living in Christ Living in the Savior enables you to live for Christ. Living in Christ enables you to live for Christ. And Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. It's, it, we need to live for God. And in a different letter, 2 Corinthians, it says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, those of us who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels you to stop living for yourself and to start living for him. Because that is what glorifies him. That is what he has called you to. That is what brings your life meaning and purpose and, and joy and so many things that we're going to look at throughout the rest of our time in Galatians. That is exciting for us to get to, but you need to understand or you need to ask yourself who or what am I living for? Who or what am I living for? We're called by, by God through his servant Paul in the book of Galatians throughout his word to live for God, to live for our savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And this is the most meaningful, this is the most powerful, this is the most God glorifying way to live. We stand in the gospel, we stand for the gospel, we live in the savior and we live for the savior. That's the beginning at least of Paul's message to the Galatians and hopefully this acts as a meaningful message to you as you consider what God wants for you in your life. How can you apply some of these perhaps abstract concepts of standing for, standing in, living in and living for these different things? I encourage you to to meditate on this, to 
Ask yourself, who am, who am I living for? What am I living for? Have I really truly believed in the gospel and taken hold of that? And st- am I standing in that right now? How do I need to stand for it? Stand up for it in my lifestyle? And how do I need to live in God's power and God's abundance that he's designed for me to live in? And so I want to encourage you just to continue to process these things. And, and actually, we're going to be reading Galatians 1 and 2 in some capacity uh, for most of our life groups this Thursday. And so you can be discussing some of these things with your friends on Thursday. I encourage you to join us for that. And so let me pray for us as I close. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for being the way and the truth and the life that we need. I pray that we would realize you in a new way through what your word tells us about yourself, about your truth, about your gospel. I pray that we would understand it more deeply, that you would unlock meaning for us so that we can fully know what it means to follow you, that we can fully embrace a life that honors you, fully embrace a life that is free from shame, a life that's free from restriction or or burdens or things that hold us back, Lord. But let us run with endurance the race that you have set before each one of us. Help us to encourage each other along this race that we run. I pray that you would help us by your spirit put these things into practice this week. In Jesus' name, amen.